Hello, welcome to another episode of Papa Bear Hikes. Today I have with me nature photographer and writer, Isaac McShane. Isaac, welcome to Papa Bear Hikes. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And, you know, this is exciting for me because I just, I see the photos that are taken of wildlife. I mean, nature and wildlife. And I'm just blown away how people like you, how much talent and patience it takes. And when I had the opportunity to, to interview, I said, okay, great. This, this could be a lot of fun because I just, I mean, it, it's, a, it's an art. It's certainly a talent. And again, thank you for agreeing to come on and share this with us. Isaac, what I'd like to do is start by asking, when did you start your passion for outdoor photography? Well, that's a great question. And to answer that, Martin, I'll go back and explain that both of my parents were photographers. And I grew up in a very outdoor setting in central Virginia, where I was encouraged to go camping and hiking, biking, rock climbing, you name it. I've just spent most of my life in the outdoors. And I never... Growing up, I never saw myself as a photographer. I knew professional photographers and I envied them, always thinking I was too much in the moment to step out of the moment and find that perfect composition. But then one day I, I had this interaction with a school, a family of river otters back in Kentucky. I had paddled the entire wild and scenic Red River, which was a life-changing experience for me. It's about 100 miles long. I did it about six miles at a time so I could just go as slow as possible and smell every rose and inspect every creature that I could. And one along the way, a family of river, river otters swam up inquisitively around me and I had enough time to get my, my phone out, take some pixelated videos and some blurry photos of them, posted them excitedly on social media. Looking at them, I just realized, you know what? I can do better than that. I'm going to see more otters as I paddle along this river, and I need to have a camera that can do it justice. So I spent about $400 on an entry-level DSLR digital light sensor reflexive light sensor reflexive camera that would allow me to to zoom in on them enough to to try to to get clarity in them so the next day i i bought the camera and i went back it was it was probably another month or two before i saw the otters but along that journey which took the better part of 6 months to paddle the entire river I saw owls, eagles, coyotes, uh, just about all the, the wildlife that Kentucky has to offer. And I paddled the entire, I kayaked the entire river with this Canon camera and a long lens around my neck. So I was always at the ready. And of course, I kept several lenses with me. So if I wanted to get a macro of a, of a, of a bumblebee on a flower, I, I would switch my lenses really quickly. But I quickly found that that uh, 600 millimeter telephoto lens was my best friend. And I've evolved since then, getting caught up in the, the tech junkie world of always wanting the best camera out there. But, you know, I'm, I'm self-taught for the most part. I watch videos by the National Geographic photographers who make a living doing that romanticized work of wildlife photography. And they'll tell you that a camera is just a box. It's the photographer who gets the, the image, who, who, make, who captures that moment. And that's really what I strive for. So I'm, I'm shooting with some pretty nice equipment right now. But if you put a phone or a point-and-shoot camera in my hand, I'm still going to crawl through the mud and wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning so I can be at Alligator River at dawn and look for the wolves or whatever it is. I'm not a patient man, I'll be honest with you. My patience is growing, but it's hard for me to sit still for a long time. As a birder, every now and then we'll see a rare bird. The western tanager was spotted in Raleigh, North Carolina at somebody's feeder. And we got permission to sit in their driveway or sit in their backyard and and look at this feeder and a feeder stakeout is one of the most tedious kinds of birding out there. I want to be moving around. 
when I go fishing, I'm trying to cover as much of the body of water as possible. And that's my approach to wildlife photography, that if there's nothing happening right here, rather than sitting and twiddling my thumbs, I'm going to go find where the action is. Maybe I'm going to jump a cottonmouth or a black bear who's none too happy about it. But that's kind of part of the adventure for me. You talk about, you know, the the equipment and you said, you know, whether it's a point and shoot or a cell phone. And what came to mind was somebody can go out and buy the most expensive paint set available on the market and think, okay, I'm going to paint beautiful landscapes. That doesn't make them a painter. No. What makes you an artist though in photography is that desire to get out there and, a, and finding those photos, finding those moments. Exactly. Yeah. You can't buy that passion. It just takes dedication and persistence. Uh, fortunately, in this digital era, I'm not limited to a pocket full of, of rolls of film that I have to wait to get developed to see how my exposure was. That's where the technology is advantageous, that I can instantly see whether my exposure is, is sufficient and I can take a hundred photographs and then pull the one out of there where that that moment is captured. That's what I'm going for. And if it takes me all day to get it, then you know what? It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And I can look back and say, well, I was I was trying to get a, uh, a picture of a black bear, but I ended up getting three coyotes, two beavers, and seven different birds that I didn't even know were there. And so... You know, you, you got to kind of set your sights low. I do a little bit of landscape photography as well. I enjoy shooting the sunrise on the coast on a tripod where I can slow the exposure enough to get that satiny texture of the water with nice crisp clouds or horizons. When I'm when I'm shooting landscape photography, I really want the conditions to be conducive towards the the feeling that I'm trying to convey when I'm shooting wildlife, whether it's raining or hard sun, you work with what you got. That's kind of the bottom line is you, you really can't, you only have so much that you can do when it comes to bad lighting. So uh, the more experience you have, the, the better that becomes. And, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, I've got hundreds of thousands of photos to pull to pull from, and uh, it takes a lot of time behind the scenes to process them and then to choose which ones I, I want to share that I think will best inspire others. And the technology is so much better now, as you said. I have an older brother who was – he's a gifted photographer. He didn't do wildlife photography, but I remember going with him as a kid, and he would – you know, it was the – rolls of film, right? He would shoot two or three rolls of film, go home, develop it. And out of maybe 30 or 40 photos say, okay, here's a few that I really like. Yes, exactly. Well, it's very similar with the digital age, except that there's hundreds. If I go out searching for one particular animal and I am lucky enough to see it in a matter of minutes, I could likely take a thousand photos. 10 minutes, a thousand photos, eight hours later on the computer. And I've probably narrowed it down to a dozen that I think are satisfactory. And of course, the, the artist in me sees flaws in the best photos that I strive to improve upon the next time. So, you know, I can take, take the, the one out of a thousand photos that I think is the best, share it on Facebook. All my friends say, Oh my goodness, that's the best picture ever. And all I see is this one little blurry spot or the the shadow where I don't want it to be. The composition isn't quite complementing that magic rule of thirds or something. And, and I really feed off of that. I'll fall asleep thinking, now what can I do to improve upon this next time? I think we can be our own worst critics at times. That's, I go that's through this myself it. with things I work on, right? Yes. <laughs> My wife's always telling me, I'll do something. She says, oh, that looks great. And I'm like, nah, or is that, you know, this little imperfection here, or I didn't get this right, you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. We could be the toughest on ourselves. Exactly. Yes. You're exactly right about that. That's a good thing. We will always improve. I hope to learn for the rest of my life. But I also try to remember this Japanese concept of wabi-sabi, I believe, 
I, I might be mispronouncing that, but it, it's it's kind of the concept of um, rejoicing in imperfection that we are humans and there will never be perfection. A machinist friend of mine showed me years ago. He made this perfect weld. He was teaching me how to weld, and it looked. It looked beautiful what he had done. And then he took a grinder and he scuffed it up. I think he took a hammer and beat on it a couple of times. He said, man, I don't want it to look like it came out of a machine. I want this to look blue collar proud as though I've done it with my own hands. And that that relates more so to my woodworking than my photography. But it does help me with my sanity that I, I know that we're not perfect. And, you know, this didn't come out of a machine or a robot. This came out of my hands. And that's kind of that's what I'm proud of. So there's that balance that. As an artist, we will always strive to better our skills, but you can't lose your mind over it. We'll be back after a quick break. You ever think about what might be in the water you're drinking every time you fill up your water bottles while you're in the outdoors? I try not to, and I really don't because I use Sawyer water filters. Sawyer filter technology, because of their high standards, Every filter is individually tested three times through the process. I've been using the permethrin product for years now to protect me from, well, quite frankly, ticks and the picaridin to keep the flies at bay. Don't let bad water, insects, or a tick bite cut your trip short or even ruin it. Use Sawyer products. Go to your local outdoor retailer and ask for Sawyer products, whether it's a water filter, insect repellent, they're likely to have it. You can also go to Sawyer's website and read more about these incredible high-quality products that they offer those of us who enjoy the outdoors. I refinish furniture occasionally. And yes, there's that human element, right? We're we're humans. We we make mistakes and we're not perfect. And that shows in our work sometimes. I know with myself when I'm refinishing a piece of furniture. I mean, it's, yeah. there is that little flaw and it's like, well, you know, just like I'm not perfect, this 40-year-old piece of furniture isn't going to be perfect. As exactly. as I, but do I really want it to look perfect? Yes, that's the goal. Exactly. So each time I go out there looking for an animal to photograph, I want it to be perfect, but you know, it's never going to be satisfactory to me. Uh, and that's when, when the journey comes into place. I have to find myself in the moment. You know, it's so easy to lose the forest for the trees. And that goes 10 times full, tenfold when you're actually in the forest and you're forgetting to appreciate that special moment. And, you know, I grew up on a horse farm where I, I was learning to interact with animals four times my size as a, as a young boy. And I just, I want to be in harmony with nature and wildlife to me is kind of the embodiment of that personified nature that I see a black bear and I want to hug it. (laughs) I see an alligator and I want to hug it. And I know that alligator does not want me to hug it, but I think that's just the kind of, maybe I'm a little bit crazy, but that's really what pushes me into the wildlife photography is to have these, I keep saying a broken record, an intimate relationship with this wildlife to, to just for an instant feel as though mankind lives within harmony with nature. That is just the most empowering and clarifying moments of my entire life. Isaac, I do a lot of backpacking. So there'll be times where I'm kind of just moving along in the moment and I'll see something and want to grab my phone and take a picture of it. You were describing your canoe trip in Kentucky. Let me ask you the process here. You're paddling along and you see something interesting, whether it's a bird or is it a bee on a flower? Do you just like stop what you're doing and then start shooting or do you try to set up the shot? You take your time so that whatever it is you're trying to photograph doesn't flee, doesn't take off on you? <laughs> That's a great question. And it's there's no good answer to it. I'm an outside the box thinker and I've experimented with different anchor setups so I can anchor myself wherever I am. And fortunately, the Red River in Kentucky is a fairly shallow river and I'm six foot five. So in my little sit on top kayak, oftentimes I can just throw my legs over the side and anchor myself in place. That being said, it's pretty hard to get a crisp shot, even if you're in place when there's current moving your boat. So I've been 
I've been known to just jump out of the boat and get on a little sandbar real quick and find my kayak later on. If there's an owl perched on a branch down the road, I, I forget about anything else but that one particular moment. And I'll abandon everything but my camera. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many hours I have spent on the river in the summertime when all I wanted to do was jump in but I've got my camera around my neck and I have a, a Pelican case that I can put it into, but God forbid I put my camera up and then the shot of a lifetime crosses me. So it, it's kind of just intense focus, which is really good for me. I'm ADD. My mind's all over the place. I can hardly maintain a, a steady line of thought ever. Writing photography are, are some of the, some of the interests that, that capture that focus and force me to really live in that moment and dial it in. That's when I thrive running on all eight cylinders and I'll walk through spider webs or snake nests, snake dens, not even thinking about anything, but what's in between or, or how to capture whatever animal it is that I see. So a lot of times the beauty of, of floating, I say paddling, but really on a lazy river, you're just using the paddle to steer yourself and you're more or less just floating with the current downriver. The beauty of that is that you're not making any commotion. So you can really get close to eagles, deer, raccoons, beavers. I found, I mean, it's hard to get the pictures when you're moving, but if you can stabilize yourself either on your your boat, or if you have to jump out of your boat, put the kayak in an eddy, or just let it float downstream and walk a mile later on to get it, then I can position myself to get within within that that range to get a full frame photo of an eagle or whatever it may be. I'm I'm not patient enough to sit in a blind, so I force myself to find these different strategies where I can get close enough. To, to capture that unique moment that doesn't just look like a stock image off of Wikipedia. So when you head out, it's not like, okay, I'm going to go try to get myself a picture of an eagle today or an otter. It's I'm going out there. And if I see something that catches my, anything that catches my eye, I'm just going to start taking pictures. More or less. That's correct. There's, there's some exceptions to that. Uh, since I moved from Kentucky to North Carolina, I've been going to the coast a lot. And we really like going to Alligator River, which has a lot of black bears, red wolves, uh, coyotes, and certain species of birds that we will target specifically. And more or less, that just means we know where they have been seen in the past. And we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to spend eight or 10 hours going to these different hot spots. And Hopefully, we'll be in the right place at the right time eventually. And if we're not, we might see something that we didn't expect to see. So my overall goal is just to, to, to make a good memory. And if I can see some sort of an animal along the way, then that's icing on the cake. You talk about hot spots. You do some scouting. You know, it, sounds like, well, it sounds like you do some scouting before you go out there, like, Maybe, I mean, with social media, this is far easier than it might have been 30 or 40 years ago, but people are talking about, there's been a bunch of black bear sightings over in this area or red wolf sightings. So you go over and you. Certainly. And scouting, scouting doesn't mean that you're not bringing the camera. So I'm scouting every time that I go out, taking notes, dropping pins on Google maps to know where to look next time. We, we play detectives. We study the photos on Facebook to try to figure out what particular landmarks are in the backdrop that we can figure out. I'm not opposed to messaging a a complete stranger and saying, I love this photograph that you took. I would really like to see that myself. Is there any chance that you could give me some input? And and nine times out of 10 people are receptive to that. And they want to, they want to share that passion with other people who share that interest. And I like to do the same thing. It's kind of a pay it forward situation. So uh, I'm all about getting lost in the woods and just having a good time out there, but life is short and I want to make the most of it. So I do try to scout out as much as possible. And if you go to alligator river, there's a good chance that you're going to see a bear on bear road. It's just, you know, it's named out for a reason, 
When it's birding, on the other hand, it gets a little bit more intense with the the detective work. Uh, I have a goal to see 300 species of birds this year. I'm uh, I'm at 230 right now, and the summertime is really slow. It's kind of kind of plateaued for the past couple of months, waiting on fall migration and a couple of trips to go out of North Carolina where we might see something. We've seen all the birds in North Carolina at this point, but to see something new, it does take hours of, of preliminary research to determine where is this species most likely to be. And it might be, mean sitting in somebody's driveway for three days. We went to the Outer Banks looking for a snowy owl over the winter time. And we spent a total of 11 days looking for it. We spent the better part of a week in the Outer Banks searching. I mean, it was like every time we would go to where the bird had last been seen, it had moved on and we were just following its trails for, for a week, week and a half. We go home, come back to Raleigh, didn't even unpack our bags when we got a notification I think my girlfriend, Sally, who you might know, Sally Psycho, who runs Best Life Birding, she had a friend of hers sight the bird the, the previous day. So she woke me up at like four o'clock in the morning and said, the bird's back. All right, let's go back. So we turn around, we drive back to the Outer Banks, spend another four or five days hiking around, going from Currituck down to Ocracoke and checking every boat ramp along Hatteras and Nagshead and we just about given up and figured, all right, well, let's try this one last place around uh, Oregon Inlet where it had been seen. We kind of had a good feeling. And I'll tell you what, if you didn't know exactly where to look, you could have scanned right over it, even with binoculars or a spotting scope or an ultra telephoto long lens. I mean, you think of a snowy owl, this white bird of being an Arctic bird that blends into the snow, but it knows that the dunes in coastal Carolina, the barrier islands provides great winter camouflage. And, and we saw it, we spotted it. We got about five minutes of, of shooting from probably 150 to 300 yards away. It was probably the high point of the year. I mean, we put in 11 days from sun up to sundown for searching to, for this one particular animal. And, it was, uh, it was an amazing time. I mean, we saw so much during that period. We, we just, we bonded together. We made new friends along the way. And when we finally saw it, even though it was a long ways away, it was, it was, it was just satisfaction. It was relief. And it was, uh, it was encouragement that, you know, I can seek out a polar bear. And if that's what I decide that I'm going to find, by golly, I'll get me a polar bear. And if, if there's a, if I'm lucky, maybe I'll feed it an apple or some sugar cubes or something. Befriend it. <laughs> this is like a, a, a nature treasure hunt. It is. Like. Exactly. I mean, I'm listening. I'm like, yeah, it's like we're going on a treasure hunt or geocaching and we're going to, yes. we're going to spot this bird or this animal. That's it, such a cool way to, and a unique way to go out and enjoy nature. It really is. Yes. And you know, I love to share that with my followers on social media, whether I'm writing the story of how I experienced this or posting a series of photos of it. I also like to study the photos myself. A lot of times with birds, you get such a fleeting glimpse of it that I don't know if I saw a Vesper Sparrow or a, or a Salt Marsh Sparrow until I study the real fine details to determine what it was. and. It, it just it makes me a better photographer and a better outdoorsman altogether to be able to go back and study those photographs and and you know if I didn't have photos of that snowy owl I might not believe that I saw because it, it was such a surreal experience and that I think is is one of the greatest gifts of photography is just to capture that moment both to share with others and just to improve my own knowledge. Yeah, there's something special about getting a nice or that perfect photo or that beautiful photo and going back and look at it. I know a few years ago I was up at Mount Greylock in Massachusetts and the most beautiful sunset I have ever seen without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And I got some beautiful 
up there. And, and and four years later, I look back at those photos and I'm still, I still say, wow, that was so yeah. cool to be there yeah. to see that. Yeah. And you don't have to have a $5,000 camera to see that you can, I mean, just about everybody's got a smartphone now and a lot of smartphones, the iPhones can take nearly just as good of a photograph. I've gotten lazy with taking my, my shorter lenses out with me. Cause I can, for the most part, if I'm just posting on social media, I can take just as good of a photo with my iPhone as I can with a, with a wide angle lens on my Canon camera. So, you know, I, I just don't ever want amateur photographers or, or newbies to be overwhelmed, intimidated that I can't afford this. And I don't know how to operate all these buttons. Nobody did when they first started. And you know what? You really don't need that. You can, you can use your phone. You can use a disposable camera. And if you can capture that sunset or sunrise that the memory is going to fade in your mind over time, but that photo, you know, your grandkids can have that. And that's something that they can learn about you by taking some, what I think are some nice pictures with my, my iPhone. That's what, that leads me to my next question here is that, you know, people like myself that maybe aren't ready to make the investment or, or maybe just tinkering with outdoor photography. I think you give some great advice. Just take your iPhone and just start taking pictures. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You can do a lot with an iPhone. Eventually, inevitably, photographers will want to progress from the, the, the phone camera there's just the technology is there right now and the, the cost has gone down. I mean, it was uh, probably five years ago that I bought my I've been dabbling off and on with photography my whole life. But when I committed to it, when the otters swam around me and I said, OK, I need to get a bottom of the line professional quality camera with some nice lenses and I'm going to commit to carrying it every day. That's the thing is. It stays in my car wherever I go because the day that I don't bring it is the day that something crosses my field of vision that I'm going to regret seeing it. And I might have the camera in my passenger seat and be on a way to a meeting and think, oh, well, you know, if I pull off the side of the road, by the time I park and get out, I'm going to be late and the animal's probably going to be gone. Well, if you don't take the picture, you'll never know. So I try to stay in the habit of saying, well, what's it matter if I'm five minutes late to the next meeting? Maybe the animal will run away, but I better at least try because that's the only way that you'll really improve your your experience is just to take pictures and take more pictures. And when you think you've taken enough pictures, keep on taking more pictures. And then the technology will improve. Five years ago, I got I spent $400 on a Canon T6 camera body with a 25 to 50 millimeter lens and a 50 to 75 millimeter lens or no 75 to 300 millimeter lens which is kind of mid-range i usually shoot with about 600 millimeters now uh that really enables me to fill the frame with the animal but uh nowadays i mean you can spend a couple hundred bucks and you can get that entry level quality camera that Sure, if I look back on my photos from five years ago, I'll pick out things that I know I can do better now. But to the beginner, I mean, if, I think that that's where the iPhone does limit you is the zoomability if you really want to get up close to it. Uh, but get yourself a, a, a point and shoot or now they've got these uh, power shots that is kind of a, a hybrid between the little tiny point and shoots and the huge long lenses with that, that uh, are removable. A power shot will zoom up to 2000 millimeters, but it doesn't have a removable lens. So, you know, it's a lot more affordable and a lot less intimidating to a beginner. And then, you know, you work your way up. I mean, maybe one day I'll have that $20,000, 1200 millimeter lens, but do I need it? Not at all. It's like any other hobby, right? The more we do it, the more we we start saying, okay, I want to get something that'll make me just a little bit better. Or I want yes. that that next piece of gear that'll put me to that to that next level. Of course. of course. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, whether it's uh woodworking or photography, I think there's you know, some people are just nerds that want to have the most up to date technology. And 
I, I, I think there's a real fine line between using that as a crutch and thinking, okay, well, if I spend this money, I'll be better. I try not to look at it that way. Sometimes I think I need to humble myself and go back to that original camera. But then I remind myself, why do that? <laughs> I want to stick with the best technology and still just push myself, shoot in low lighting, shoot in range, shoot with fast moving animals. If a bird perched isn't interesting enough, I want to try to capture it in flight. If, if capturing it in flight isn't interesting enough, I want to capture it in flight while it's feeding its young or something crazy like that. I want to talk about, you know, you have the, we talked about it, the equipment can get pricey. Oh yeah. And I just want to ask this, is there any special care you have to take with your equipment? You're out on the water, you're in situations where weather can change quickly. Is there, is there special gear you're buying to protect your camera equipment while you're in the outdoors? I'm probably not the best person to answer that. Yeah, there is special gear, but my camera has sand in it and it's got, you know, it's, it's sealed. So it's waterproof. I don't, I mean, it's not IPX 67 or whatever. Certainly wouldn't submerge it, but uh, rain does really soften the light. And so if you're trying to get a photograph of an animal and it starts raining, you kind of get excited that, oh, cool, I'm not going to have these blown out highlights. So uh, I'm not afraid to get my camera wet. Now, of course, if it starts dumping on me, I'll probably put it underneath my shirt. And if I had any sense, I'd bring a raincoat with me at least to cover it up with. Uh, I remember a wildlife photographer who I really look up to actually... 10 years ago, when I had first moved to the Red River Gorge, maybe it was 11 or 12 years ago now, I actually rented a house that was owned by a couple of uh, rock climbing photographers who now work for National Geographic, Keith Ledzinski and Andy Mann. And I kind of, uh, I've learned a lot from Andy Mann over the years. When I'd get stumped on something, I would reach out to him. Andy does everything from, from rock climbing photography to swimming with sharks and polar bears with Paul Nicklin. And uh, I, and he sat at my kitchen table and told me stories of being scuba diving underneath icebergs as they were rotating. I mean, sheer adventure photographer. And I've watched videos of him explaining, yeah, you know, you're supposed to use lens cloths on your camera lenses, but I'm bad about just using the my shirt tail for it if there's a smudge on that. When Andy Mann said that, I kind of realized, all right, well, I guess I don't have to set the bar quite that high. And anybody who's listening to this, do as do as I say, not as I do. Use a lens cloth, use a rain cover on your camera. I do have a camera cleaning kit in my glove box that has a little air pump to blow sand out, various uh, cloths with different textures on them, all sorts of little gadgets to repair it. And you know, you can buy those on Amazon for 20 bucks. That's really all you need. Um, cameras are designed to be exposed to the elements. And, uh, you know, obviously, if you're shooting on the coast where the, the uh, water is corrosive, you do need to be precautionary of, of not getting it submerged in a wave. Uh, if, if so, then, you know, clean it out. But um, I'll tell you, man, I'm just kind of in the moment. So, so far, knock on wood, I've been lucky. That, uh, you know, I kind of shoot first and then ask questions later. And after the day is done, we'll come home and take everything apart and clean it or go to bed and do it the next day. But uh, it's definitely worth investing at the very least in a, in a cleaning kit and, uh just being mindful of, of trying to be as, as uh, delicate with it as possible. But it's not always going to happen. A lot of people who don't spend a lot of time in the outdoors, of course, are always thinking or they'll ask. Actually, the most common question I'm asked as a backpacker, do you ever have any bear encounters? And what would you do if you saw a bear? Isaac, let me ask you this. Have you ever had what you would consider a dangerous or close call situation with an animal while you're trying to photograph it? Well... It depends on how you define dangerous or close call. When I was younger, growing up in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia, I got scared by bears a couple of times when I saw them running 
I thought they were running towards me. I think they were probably running away from me. But, uh, you know, as a, as a 10 year old boy, you see a bear and it's the scariest thing in the world. Uh, nowadays, I maintain that most animals are more afraid of, of humans than humans are of them. And I just I, I can't use the word afraid of any animals, snakes included. I respect all animals. But I really do believe that knowledge is power. I keep snake tongs in my car. I love, I really have a, a big place in my heart for the underdogs, the animals that are stigmatized that people would rather not see or just say, oh, I could, I could be all right in a world without snakes. And, you know, I'm not out there petting snakes, but if somebody identifies or somebody doesn't know if it's a, uh, a, juvenile king snake or a rattlesnake i can identify it and if it's in a public area i'll catch it and relocate it and i have absolute zero fear while doing that because i've i've studied the animals enough to understand their habits and have the experience that was in part learned uh i picked up from other people that I know how to do it in a way that mitigates the risk. And uh, likewise with the larger animals, um, you know, if I'm kayaking in Greenfield Lake down in Wilmington and there's alligators at eye level, I have a tendency to push the envelope and I want to get my camera at water's edge so you can almost see underwater and get that eye level shot. And, you know, uh, a six or eight foot alligator, I feel pretty good about. If there's an alligator that pops up that's longer than my kayak is, sure, it's kind of an uncomfortable feeling. But, you know, I don't think like the whole Jaws, malicious animal thing. Uh, reptiles are predictable and, and mammals, I guess, for that matter, are very much as well. Uh, if you antagonize an animal, you're putting yourself at risk. But, most of the bears that I've interacted with, you can you can read their their expressions. If their ears go back and if they start snorting, you know that it's time to back up and that you need to give them their space. But if they're just drinking water and you know scratching their back on a tree with a derpy look, then they whether they're humanized because they're in such a populated area that they they understand humans to be a little threat. Um, you know, it's just something that you have to take on a, on a case by case basis. And I'm that guy that yells at bears, wolves, deers. I've encountered red wolves on the side of, uh, highway 64 driving into the outer banks at four o'clock in the morning. And I parked my car and I yelled and I said, Hey, wolf, get out of here. What I really wanted to do was scoop the wolf up, put it in my car, bring it back home and breed it with my dog so I could have some wolf pups. I don't think that the, uh, that the, the wildlife uh, department would, would, would be okay with that. And in all reality, I don't want that wolf to be friendly with me. I don't want that wolf to think that it's okay to come up to me or to walk along the highway. I would rather it see, see me as its enemy and, uh, you know, make it a challenge. Don't make it so easy that I can feed you. I want to work to get that photo. And I'm a thrill seeker. I'll admit it, that if I feel like my life is partially at risk, then I'm going to be functioning on all eight cylinders. And I might get that shot that I wouldn't have been able to get if I felt like everything was copacetic. I just kind of think we can conquer fear just with knowledge. Exactly. Knowledge is power. Nine times out of 10, that's what's going to happen. Uh Bears are not as common in Kentucky, where I'm from, as uh, as down in North Carolina, where I now live. And I've, uh, I think there's only been one bear attack in Kentucky in the past 20 years, and it was a guy who was waving his backpack in the bear's face, trying to get pictures of him with his camera, uh, and and he he instigated uh, the bear to be in a defensive mode. So. That happens, and my guess is that he didn't read the bear's uh, body movements and, and the expressions. I mean, it's pretty intuitive, I think, for any living being to tell when another living creature is uncomfortable. And uh, 
you know, there's, there's something kind of cool about not being at the top of the food chain when you're out in the wild that alligators, wolves, bears, uh, those guys, they could, they could do us some damage and it's humbling. It's, it's, it's a really special feeling to be able to interact with something that I know, uh, is bigger than me and stronger than me and could eat me if it really wanted to. But to be able to to share that moment of peace with it, uh, you know, to look at that photo of the bear where it's like the Mona Lisa that its eyes are following you throughout the room. I, I It puts me back in that place. I can smell the ocean breeze and I can hear the trees. You know, it's just uh, it's like a fountain of youth for me. You know, you talk about, you know, being out there, you're being vulnerable. Uh, and any of us who have gone out and spent any time in the outdoors, whether it's backpacking, kayaking, uh, the outdoor photography that you do, cl- rock climbing, yeah, you are making yourself vulnerable because yes. nature will kick our butts. Yes, it sure will. You can, yeah, and that's amazing for for humans as as much as we've, built our society and technology to be humbled that mother nature is a formidable, uh, I don't want to use the word opponent, but, but the, the harmony that we've, we've got to strive for conveys on such a global scale. And I think that what you're doing and what I'm doing are very much, we're doing the right thing by trying to educate and inspire other people that, there is risks in nature, but it's so worth it. And if you if you educate yourself and prepare yourself for the worst case scenario, then you're probably going to wind up uh, pretty excited with whatever you find. Yeah, Isaac, I did an episode, uh, I guess about four or five months ago, and I broke down. It was ba- as an article I had found online. And the odds of being attacked by a black bear, odds of being bitten by a snake, all these different things. And I, I did an episode on it because I was blown away. You know, it's a fear that keeps people out of the backcountry. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do the episode to say, you know what? You are so much more likely to get hurt in your own house yeah, or driving from your house to the supermarket than you are in the woods. Exactly. Yeah, you're right about that. And the more you learn, the the better you can you can prepare yourself from that. I've known a handful of people who have been bit by copperheads over the years, but they are almost asking for it. I mean, if you if you stick your hand down a rocky crevice somewhere that a snake is likely to be, you're greatly increasing the likelihood of a snake bite. Or if you antagonize the bear and, and don't give it the space that it needs. Uh, you're asking for it, but if you're just walking down a trail, if your eyes are peeled, I think that you're lucky to see the snake or the bear. And 99 out of a hundred times, it's more afraid of you than you are of it. And if you keep going, or even if you stop and take a few photos of it, not only is it, is it going to be okay. And you're, you're probably not going to be attacked by a bear charging you, but you'll, you'll gain that little bit of experience so that the next time it happens, you're not quite as, as much of an adrenaline rush and you can kind of slow down and experience the moment a little bit better. And I mean, I can't say that if you do it a thousand times, it it never gets old. It it never does get old. That's the thing is uh, you just kind of, you can handle it better. I think you, you develop that experience to live in the moment and, to this day, if I catch a snake or if I'm 20 feet away or six feet away from a bear or alligator or red wolf, whatever it may be, a whale, uh, it is an adrenaline rush. And I like that. I like that a lot. I want more of that. And, you know, you never know where you're, when you're going to get it. I mean, uh, you go out looking for one thing and you see something totally different. And that's just a gift that Mother Nature keeps giving. Isaac, they have any special places you want to go do some photography? Cause it sounds like the majority of it is in the 
eastern part of the United States, Carolinas, Virginia, Kentucky. But is that is there that dream location or that location you're thinking of that you want to go to and and do some photography? Well, that's a tough question, Martin, because the answer is everywhere. I'd love to go to Alaska. I'd love to go to Belize. I'd love to go to Japan. I'd love to tour Europe. I mean, uh, I'm definitely kind of a big picture thinker that romanticizes going from Anchorage to Argentina or from the Iger to Everest, you know, any kind of alliteration like that where I can cross multiple continents just seems like it would be uh, an adventure of a lifetime. And at this point in my life where I have many responsibilities, uh, I don't currently have, have a window to, to tackle such a huge endeavor, but I do jump on any opportunity. At this point, I think it's, do I know somebody there? I, I have uh, friends in Colorado, so we're planning on going to Colorado uh, next month. We'll spend a week uh, in Summit County, and we're, we're going to try to hit as many different habitats as possible. Um, I want to see all of the different the different environments. Really, I gravitate towards mountains and waterways, whether it's rivers or marshes or oceans. Uh, I've never seen the desert before, and I feel like I would I, – I just I don't, don't even know what to imagine being somewhere without any trees or water because that's kind of my totem, my, my grounding heading. But I need to see it. I need to step out of my comfort zone. I want to go to the southwest. And, you know, sometimes stepping out of your comfort zone – is where you find that inspiration you didn't know that would exist. I've I've researched Alaska and Belize and Japan and I know what birds and and mammals fish to expect to see there. And that's great. I really have no idea what to expect in the Southwest and I think that's probably where I need to start. Isaac, I wouldn't be surprised if one day you're back on this podcast and we're talking about you going to the Amazon or Thailand or yeah. someplace like that and having some really cool stories about some some pictures you took. I'm looking forward to it. In closing here, Isaac, what words of encouragement would you, get, would you give to someone who maybe is out there enjoying the outdoors right now that wants to take the next step in photography, wants to do more than just take a few pictures, a few selfies here and there? Some of the best advice that I picked up from uh, uh, Michael... Michael, I want to say Madsen. I don't think that's it. It's a National Geographic landscape photographer who uh, his his advice that he gives everybody is just to be dogged. When the sun goes down, when the sun sets over, that doesn't mean stop shooting. Sometimes the best shots are after the sun has set or after the sun has risen and you get that blue light or the golden hour or whatever it is. If, if one animal's gone, another animal could come back to be dogged don't give up to stop in the side of the road if you think an animal is going to run into the woods before you can get out even if it's a groundhog and you think oh i'm going to pull over and the groundhog is going to go down the tunnel and i'm never going to see it you won't if you don't try that's the thing is carry your camera everywhere if it's your camera phone that's in your pocket so even better be prepared you know put the the icon right on the home screen so all you got to do is touch it do it so many times that you can take a shot in the dark if you, you know, you just point and shoot. I'm at the point with my camera that I don't have to think where, what buttons are when I'm changing my aperture, my shutter speed, and my ISO. I can do all three simultaneously while still processing the distance and the speed and the lighting. Uh, it just takes experience to not be overwhelmed or intimidated by so much knowledge that you have to take in. You're not going to make a million dollars as a photographer. That's not what it's about. It's about sharing that information with others, studying it yourself, and giving you a reason to go outdoors and enjoy this beautiful nature that we all have at our disposal. It's it's just uh, it's about just getting out there. That's the, that's the main thing. You don't have to have the fancy camera. You just got to get out there. Isaac, where can we find your beautiful photos? I know they're on Instagram. Why don't you give us your, uh, give us that information and we'll make sure we put a link to it in the description for everybody. I appreciate that. I do have a website. It's my name, Isaac McShane.com. 
I-S-A-A-C-M-C-S-H-A-N-E.com. So that's, that's my main website that has, uh, it has links to my writing. Anytime I publish an article, it goes on there. Uh, all of my photography goes through there. I do have an Instagram page as well. That's Isaac McShane photo.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. If anybody who's listening to this wants to send me a friend request, I'll be happy to, to communicate privately with anybody who has any questions or just wants to, to share photographs. I love to inspire others as I also love to be inspired. I mean, I'm constantly scrolling through all of my social media platforms, which is basically just Instagram and Facebook, but I'm looking for inspiration. I want to see a photo of an eagle that I've never seen before. That way, when I go out and I see an eagle, I'm not going to try to replicate it per se, but maybe I'm going to apply that knowledge towards my unique situation and improve my own skill set however I can. So I really enjoy reaching out with, with those, what, whether they're just getting into it or whether they've been doing it since before I was alive. I think that it, this is a community that's important for all of us to really work together. I would strongly encourage everyone to take a look at your photos because you will be inspired. I know I've been when I've looked at them to think, okay, you know what? I like what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's a chance I can up my game a little bit and, and get some, some nicer photos. Like I said, I've, I kind of, I, I want to be able to put myself in a position where I can take some wildlife photos. So yeah, that's, you can. That, to me, that is so cool. You really can. There's no wrong photos out there. I mean, that's the thing is beauty is in the eye of the beholder and art is subjective. So a photo that looks underexposed to me might look just right to you and vice versa. So uh, we are our own worst critics, but you you can't let that stop you from from taking it because everybody i can take the same exact photo as somebody right next to me with the exact same gear and they're gonna look different and i think that's that's beautiful so keep on shooting isaac mcshane thank you so much for coming on papa bear hikes once again and and sharing hopefully inspiring us to go out and do this and hopefully we'll have you back on in the future Looking forward to it, Martin. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's been fun, and I look forward to doing it the next time. You have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you haven't done so yet, go to our website, palmabearhikes.com. Listen to past episodes. Check us out on social media. Go to our YouTube channel, Martin Outside. All those links are there. In addition to that, you can buy our book or see what you're missing out on if you're not a Patreon member yet. Remember to get outside, have fun, and be safe. This episode of Pop Bear Hikes has been brought to you by Avalon Publicity. Avalon Publicity, increasing the digital footprint of content creators and skilled professionals via website development and social media services. For more information about Avalon Publicity, go to their website, avalonbusiness.org. That's avalonbusiness.org.